I want to uh, I want to begin. We're going to shift a little bit from domestic to international today in our series that we're doing on that day. This is the, if I'm check, uh, keeping track right, this is the 52nd uh, message we've done in this series. It's the longest series I've ever done in my life. Um, I'm going to keep it going until we find liberty in our nation. Already we see the church. The church has largely, the evangelical church in America has largely folded to woke largely giving place to the control of the government. Um, I like what it says in Jeremiah 12. It says, if you have run with men and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you fall down, what will you do in the jungles of the Jordan? And what we've gone through in the last year of the church is a complete assault on the First Amendment. It is an assault on the sovereignty of God. And uh, we have determined that we will stand and stand strong. You know that we launched AmericanFaith.com. Uh, if you haven't been to that site, um, the, what's happened since the gala on the 18th of April has been absolutely amazing. I don't have the stats right in front of me, but we're, uh, our view rate is up about 750%. Uh, Click-through rate on our, on our uh, three top stories has gone from, uh, or is up to about 40% on open and 44% click rate. If you know anything about that, uh, nobody has that. And so God is really blessing. We just uh, uh, signed two shows to be a part of it. Uh, Bill Fetter, if you were here, he's now going to be a part of American Faith, and he will have a show, weekly show on American Faith. And then Melissa Tate. Um, has just signed a uh, with us as well, and she has about 450,000 Twitter followers, and uh, is a regular was a regular in the White House. Has a new book out, and we're excited about her. Um, so it, there, there's exciting things happening. I mean, and you get to be a part of it. You know, it's nice to be able to be a part of a cause, and not just come to church. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I there's got to be something in life worth fighting for. And if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And that's what I see happening. It happened to the Lutheran Church in 1939 when they folded under Nazi Germany. And uh, they've been on a downward spiral ever since that day. And I think the church has to do that. I was doing an interview with the Epoch Times, and they asked me, what do you think the parallels between here and China are because the Epoch Times largely grew out of a fight against communism in China, uh, but yet printed and, and published in America. And I said, uh, without even thinking, it just came out of my mouth. And I said, well, in, in China, you have the underground church, which is about 100 million people. And then you have uh, the state-sponsored church. And the underground church is really the powerhouse in China. It is what moves the needle of God's hand in China. And I said, but I see the same thing developing here in America, except I, I use different terms. I use the believing church and the conforming church. And, you know, what happens is sometimes when the pressure leaves, I'm just going to say this to every one of you here today, when the pressure of society leaves, your Christianity goes down. You have to make a decision now that you're going to be more fervent, more fired up for God than you ever have before for the rest of your life. Because following Christ is not like when things are bad. It's when things are good, bad, and in between. Amen? So today, uh, because of what's happening in the Gaza Strip and Israel, I felt it really timely to talk to you about uh, 
what's happening there and how it ties into biblical history, how it ties into prophetic history. I'm often asked, what's the next big prophetic event in Scripture? And it is uh, the Magog invasion of Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now, if that sounds a little bit strange to you, we're gonna go into detail and kind of describe what that means. But I think it's important for us to understand the place of Israel. What a lot of churches have done, have introduced into something called replacement theology, and that is that God is done with Israel and the church now takes the place. That Israel is to be blamed for the death of Christ and now this church has shifted over here and all the blessings of Abraham go to the church. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing is more inaccurate biblically than what I just said about the view of Israel. I wanna take you back to the book of Genesis. Genesis sets the compass for us and uh, every major doctrine that's in the word of God is introduced in the first 15 chapters of the book of Genesis. If you get off in Genesis, you're off the rest of your study in the word of God. So you have to be right. You have to be right there. What we're introduced to in the 12th chapter is a man by the name of Abram. You'll know him as Abraham. His name has changed as he becomes the father of a mighty nation. He is the one who is said to be the father of faith. That is, he understood that faith, that righteousness came by faith and not by doing good deeds. You see, your righteous standing before God is that because of a relationship that you have, if you have one, with Jesus Christ. So Abraham set that tone. So God takes Abraham and he calls him out of Ur of the Chaldees. Now that name is a little bit odd to us living in this day, but that means Babylon. He called him out of Babylon, away from his pagan gods, and he said, I'm gonna make you the father of a mighty nation. I'm gonna give you a land, and that land is gonna be your land. Now there were no Jews at that moment, there was no Israel at that moment, but where we get those terms, and I'm just gonna give you a little bit of insight for some of you who may not know, the way we got the name Hebrew was because the father of Abraham was a man by the name of Eber. And in the, in the Hebrew, you put a rough breathing mark, it becomes Heber, and that became Hebrew. So that's where the term Hebrew came from. It would be later in those descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. Jacob's name means deceiver. But he had a God encounter, and when he had that God encounter, God blessed him by changing his name. He said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, a deceiver. You shall now be called Israel, a prince with God. I want you to understand that something more changed in his life, in Abraham's life, than just a change of names. It was a change of perspective, a change in character. And whenever you encounter God, you should have a change in character, a change in identity, a change in perspective because of that transformational moment in your life. So God calls Abraham and he says, Abraham, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm gonna take you out of the Ur of Chaldees. I'm gonna put you into land that I'm going to show you. And here's what he said in Genesis chapter 12, verses two and three. This is what's called the Abrahamic promise. I believe this covenant that he made with Abraham is still in place today. I practice this whenever I'm around Jewish people. I bless them in the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because of the promise. Now let me just walk you through it. He said, I will make you a great nation. Now imagine how amazing this must have been to Abram, whose 
standing there by himself thinking about, I'm gonna be a great nation? I'm just one man, what can I do? Can I just tell you that one man, one woman with God is a majority? Amen? Stand with God, stand for God. He said, I'm gonna make you a great nation, and I'm going to bless you. Do you know that God is a blessing God? He's not holding back, he is blessing, he's wanting. Sometimes we stop the blessing, but God wants to bless. And he said, I will make your name great. Now you'll notice that multiple times God uses this phrase, I will, I will, I will. It's because it's an unconditional promise made to the Jewish people. He said, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Now this is the essence of the Abrahamic blessing. It is that I'm gonna bless those who bless the nation of Israel, but I'm gonna curse those who curse the nation of Israel. So God will bring judgment because the Jewish people, not because of their personal faith, but because they were selected out to be the chosen people. That doesn't mean chosen unto salvation, that means chosen with a mission. So he isolated out this small group of people that we call today Israel, and he began to work in them promises and miracles to bring them to the place they are today. And then it says, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So what we come to understand is that out of Israel, somehow nations are going to be blessed. You realize that the Jewish population represents less than 2% of the world population, and yet they hold more Nobel Prizes than any other group of people in the world. Now just let that sink in for a moment. That the technology that you're enjoying today that the advances in science that you're enjoying today, those largely come from discoveries and things that the Jewish population have done and created on your behalf. So when we begin to think about it, how does that practically work out? It works out this way. Whenever I encounter someone who's Jewish, I, I typically say, may I bless you in the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And a lot of times they'll look at you like, are you crazy, what does that mean? Uh, I did that when we were living on the East Coast in New Jersey, and we'd fly out of New York a lot, and you'd uh, run into a lot of Orthodox Jews, and I would just walk up to them. I remember three men that were, you know, clearly Orthodox in their dress, and I went up and I said, hey, clearly I'm a Gentile, you're a Jew. And they got nervous. <laughs> and I said, I'd like to bless you right now, according to the blessing of Abraham, in the first book of the Torah, may the Lord bless you, keep you, May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. And I'm gonna bless those, I'm gonna bless you that I might be blessed, that also those who resist you will be cursed. And they were just overwhelmed with emotion in that moment. And so you can practically work this out. You can do this also by praying for Israel. Well, Israel right now is in the centerpiece of the news today, is it not? And we read about this little place called Gaza, the Gaza Strip, and we think, what is going on in Gaza? Why, are, why is everybody in Gaza so mad? Well, I want you to know that historically, Gaza has always been a problem. Let me just take you back. Gaza was not founded originally, had anything to do with the Arab population. It was actually Phoenicians that came from Crete. They worshiped a god named Dagon. That was the fish god. They believed that the fish, somehow, there was a fish god that they worshiped. And so they were very powerful in that day, but I'm gonna give you a couple of data points to kind of show you uh, biblically where they were. Do you remember a guy named Samson? 
Samson. So Samson was this man that judged Israel, and he was uh, a mighty man. And uh, Samson went down, and he was always in conflict with the Philistines. And so he did battle with the Philistines, and then, then Samson got a little bit away from God, kind of forgot his vow that he had with God, and he fell asleep on Delilah's knees. He should have fell asleep on his own knees, praying. And he revealed the secret of his power. That was, it was in his covenant, his relationship with God. And so what they did, the Philistines came in and they poked out his eyes. And they took him down to Gaza. And they took him into the temple of Dagon. And in the temple of Dagon, he couldn't see, but he could hear the cheers of all these pagan um, followers of Dagon, these Philistines, and he said to the man that had him chained, he said, take me to the pillars and chain me there. And he took him over to the two pillars that held up this giant temple of Dagon down in Gaza. And it says he began to pray, God, let me kill more Philistines in my dying than in my living. And there's a little part of that scripture that's so, so instructive, if you go back and read it, and it says, and the hairs on his head began to grow. Now his covenant was the Nazarite vow, and they never cut their hair. Why did the Holy Spirit put that little phrase in there? He was telling you that, that, that God was renewing and restoring Samson's strength. And he took the two pillars, he pushed them down, the temple collapsed, killing Samson, but everybody in that temple at that moment. And he killed more in his dying than he ever did in his living. I want you to know the church will be more effective in fighting the enemy when they die to self and live unto God. When the hair begins to grow, you might be blind to what's happening, but I want you to know God is not blind. God is working mightily and powerful in our world. Here's some things we do know about Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist state of Iran. The connection points to Iran and, to, and Hamas are easy to find. We do know that 1,600 rockets were fired at Israel as of Friday, and they are all Iranian. They're either manufactured in Iran or they're manufactured in the Gaza Strip with parts and oversight of uh, Iran. We also know that right now both Russia and Iran are testing the strength of President Biden, and clearly he's coming up short on every case. And that is, that is something that we, can, uh, we should regret because as our nation, as our leader takes us down a path, it takes every one of us down a path of making us vulnerable from attack. Which brings me to the next thing, the Russian hacking of the colonial pipeline. Now, what's interesting about that is that it hasn't been that long ago that, that the president stopped the pipeline from Canada, killing jobs, taking away a billion dollars in gross national product from America. And so all of a sudden, now you have oil cut off. The timing is perfect. Let's go ahead and shut down the Colonial Pipeline. And the only way to get it back on, supposedly, was to pay a ransom of $5 million to the Russian hackers. We've now set a precedent. Every time you shut it down, we're going to pay a ransom back to that attacking uh, nation or individual. The timing of the attack on Israel by Hamas is strategic. All of these things work together. We see them as random pieces, but remember, there, is, there are those behind the scene. There are those in other nations and working behind the scenes to try to coordinate things to weaken America. 
America's already been weakened by some of the things it's done in the first 150 days or so of this, 120 days of this administration. But the timing is very interesting. If I were one of those conspiracy people, if I were one of those, I would say that what's happening in Israel is a diversion. It is a diversion cause to take the American mind off of America and what's going wrong. This has not been anything that's unusual. The CIA have been doing this for years and years and years. They will literally create a problem in another country in order to divert your attention off of what's happening in the United States of America. Now, that's only if I was a conspiracy person. <laughs> Having grown up with a dad in, in military intelligence, it comes naturally. Well, the other thing we know is that Turkey is closely aligned with Russia. There was a time when Istanbul was named as Constantinople. It was named after Constantine, the first Christian leader of the Roman Empire, but because they, the Christians gave up territory, it became almost 99% Muslim city now, and they changed the name to an uh, Islamic name, Istanbul. So we see the changing climate that happens in the world when we as Christians don't stand, when we get so consumed to be in our holy little groups and you know, keep our only holy little friends and do our only, all our cute things that Christians do and don't stand in the midst of the turmoil of, that we find ourselves in to America. This, America was not founded by weak people. It was founded by strong people. And it will, it will maintain itself by strong people. Let me take you through a few things that came out in the news recently, and then we're gonna jump right into Ezekiel 38 and 39. The Arab League chief, uh, Ahmed Abul Get, said this, the Israeli airstrikes are indiscriminate and irresponsible. Now remember, who started the rocket attack? It was Hamas. He went on to say, Israel was responsible for a dangerous escalation. I don't know about you, but if they fire 1,600 rockets into Anaheim, I hope somebody does something. <laughs> does that kind of put it in, in, in order? I mean, it, let's just say that Orange decides they're going to attack Anaheim because that's how close they are. And they're going to lop into Anaheim, 1,600 rockets. And you're going to sit back and go, you know, why are, is Israel responding and escalating this thing? Yeah, I don't get this. Anyway and called on the international community to act immediately to stop the violence. The Iranian Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei said, the Zionists understand nothing but the language of force. The Zionist is a name for the Jewish uh, believers that they have a right to be in the state of Israel. Nothing but the language of force, so the Palestinians must increase their power and resistance to force the criminals to surrender and stop their brutal acts. Turkish Foreign Minister, the Israeli government must finally understand that it will not be able to suppress the Palestinian people's legitimate right and demands uh, by using indiscriminate, disproportionate power. Now, what's interesting about that is the Palestinian people's legitimate rights. I, I just want to go on record as saying the Palestinians are actually Arabs, and there has been no Arab country that has ever offered them any kind of immigration into their own land because they use the Palestinian idea as a tool against the nation of Israel. There has never been a Palestinian king. There is no Palestinian language. There's basically no Palestinian literature. Where did the Palestinians come from? Well, the term was actually a, a term of derision used by 
um, Titus, when he came in, Titus, when he conquered Jerusalem in 70 AD, he used it as a term of derision, and he, he slurred his tongue so as to make fun of the Philistines, and he called them Palestinians. So sometimes if you know some of the origin, it kind of helps you to make sense of, of the Bible when you begin to approach it. Well, let's talk about the Magog invasion. Now, Magog, we're gonna learn, is an ancient name for Russia. So I wanna show you a slide up here, and we're gonna kind of take a look at a map. This way it'll kind of make sense as you begin to walk through the scriptures. You'll notice that you have Israel, a little bitty country, uh, surrounded by a lot of large countries with a lot of people in them. Uh, Israel's about the size of New Jersey. So that kind of, maybe that helps you put it in perspective. But Ezekiel envisions a time when Russia, Turkey, uh, Iran, um, also the Sudan, and Libya are gonna come against Israel, and it's described as being in the last days. Now this is not Armageddon. This is the Magog invasion that will happen, and we're gonna give you a timeline in a minute to kind of walk you through it, but I'm gonna take you to Ezekiel now. I'm gonna walk you through the scriptures and help you understand it. I would mark my Bible, Ezekiel 38, if you have a chance. Go back and reread this for yourself because we're not gonna have a chance to go into to reading two chapters today, all right? But it says in Ezekiel, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, set your face against Gog and the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Now all of those ancient names there have references to leadership locale of Russia. Rosh, for example, is the ancient name for Moscow. And so we begin to, to kind of say, okay, so we've got something happening up here from the north. And then it says, and prophesy against him, saying, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and I will turn you around, and I will put hooks into your jaws and lead you out with all your army horses and horsemen, all spinally clothed, a great army with bucklers and shields, and all them handling swords. Now let me just stop and show you what's happening. God says, I'm gonna actually initiate this battle. So he says, I'm gonna put, he uses the term hooks in your jaws. He says, I'm gonna drag you into the land of Israel because I wanna demonstrate my power to you. Now God often does this. God moves people around, the Bible says, like, like water in the, in, in the channels of our hand in order to accomplish his purpose. He said of Pharaoh, I've raised him up for this purpose that I might just demonstrate my, my power uh, in the land. So we see, uh, all of a sudden we see Russia here now. Now look at the next one, Persia, now called Iran. A lot of people say, well, why did they change the name? They changed the name at the request of the ambassador for Germany under, under Adolf Hitler to change the name from Persia to Iran because Iran means in Persian, Aryan. So the Persians are not Arabs, they're actually uh, Aryan race, and that's why the second a best-selling book outside of the Koran in Iran is Baim Kemp by Adolf Hitler. This is kind of making sense now? Why is Iran so mad all the time at Israel? Because they are anti-Semitic. And Libya with them, and all of them with shield, helmet, Gomer is the ancient name for Germany, and all its troops, the house of Tagar Tagarma, that's Turkey, from the far north and all its troops, many peoples are with you. So let me walk you back through just so you can kind of understand some of the players in this battle. The nations aligned against Israel in this story 
are Russia, Iran, Sudan, Libya, Germany, and Turkey. So that's the battle that's coming. Now, it doesn't take a genius to be able to watch your newspaper, watch your, your news feed on your computer, and say, how come some of these nations are already involved in this? For example, Germany signed a multi-billion dollar agreement with Iran to run a high-speed rail system uh, from Iran to Germany. That's an unusual thing. Why is that happening? Well, that's for another message. Ezekiel 38, 8, and 9. When is this gonna happen? The only thing the Bible tells us here about timing is in the latter years. So that term is a technical term, latter days, latter term, uh, latter days, latter terms, latter days and years. And it says, you will come into the land of Israel and those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel. Now, pause right here. We know something now about timing, about chronology. So whenever this is, it's after Israel's back in the land of Israel. They've been scattered worldwide. And all of a sudden, God begins to bring people back from all different parts of the world. And that's called, uh, this, this law of return comes back. So when did it happen? 1948, Israel became a nation. Now people start flooding in to the nation of Israel, Jewish people from all over the world. Now immigration is not an, a new thing, is it? What's so interesting in Israel is that it's immigration by bloodline. So you have the right to live in Israel and become a citizen if you can prove that you have Jewish blood. There is no other nation on earth that's ever had an immigration policy based on your bloodline. Why is that? Because God scattered the people because of their disobedience. He's bringing them back because he's gonna fulfill a purpose in the last days. So he says, so when you see him coming back, so if, if I'm marking my Bible, I could mark right next to that little phrase right there, they're gathered from many people, I can put 1948. That's when that happened, that's when that began. So whatever this prophecy is, it really has a starting point in 1948, and we'll see uh, what we can learn as we read on. It said, which had long been desolate, they were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You, Magog, will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and your troops and many people with you. So we see that there's a battle raging, there's a battle coming. Now we don't have time to jump into chapter 39, but let me just give you a little spoiler alert here. What happens in 39 is God begins to move in such a powerful way against these armies that come. It says that four-fifths of them are wiped out. Now think about that. The invaders that are coming in are completely almost annihilated in terms of their battle. That means Russia, Iran, Germany, Turkey, Syria, and Sudan. It's a lot. It says, uh, you, Magog, will ascend like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, and you and all your troops and many people with you. Look at Ezekiel 38, verse 10. On that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. So what, where does this really come from? It, it comes from this coalition of these forces that are anti-Semitic, and they say, we have an evil plan. We're going to destroy, we're gonna destroy Israel. Now, Iran has long been uh, noted to, to be able to say, the, from their ambassador to their president, that we're going to come first for the, uh, the Jewish people, then we're gonna come for America. So the agenda's been really clear. They haven't been hiding about what they're doing here, 
Um, and now with this, with this lightening up of Iran, our policy against Iran in, uh, from the United States perspective, we see they're a little bit more emboldened for their nuclear projects than ever have been before. Um, there, there are many, many deep, deep planted uh, operatives, Jewish operatives within the Iranian scientific community. That's why they have many times they have malfunctions. Have you read about some of those? They have meltdowns. They have things that go wrong. And, and uh, I've kind of been in touch with some of the people in some of the higher level intel. And they said, yeah, that was, a, that was an Israeli operative that did that. So uh, the good news is that God has a marvelous plan. Let me give you a timeline now. This kind of helps a little bit. This is not in your notes. If you, if you have the church app, uh, all the notes are there, but not the diagram. So you might want to take a picture of some of these diagrams we lay out. So let's just go back to what I talked about, 1948. Now, I want you to notice the dates. I put them up here. Normally, I just put the year. But look, May 15th, and then the Six-Day War, June 5 and 10. Do you think that the attack by Hamas is accidental? Do you realize it happened between Israel becoming a nation and the Six-Day War? Let's take and attack their right to exist. Both of these, both of these demonstrate the right to exist. So Israel becomes a nation, May 15th. Almost immediately the next day, they're already doing battle with all the surrounding nations trying to bring them down. Finally, in 1967, there is what's called the Six-Day War. It's called the Six-Day War because it only lasted how many days? Six. See how good you're doing? All right, so it only lasted six days, and Israel became victorious, and they retook lands that they did not previously have. One of those was the Gaza Strip, which they recently gave back in the, in the last few years, gave back uh, in, in a way to try to bring peace, but it, there's never going to be peace in the Middle East. Can I tell you that? The Bible says there will never be peace in the Middle East. I don't care what president is in power. I don't care what negotiations are done. The Bible says that this will be a constant conflict until the end of the age. So now let's go forward. Now we're in May uh, 2021, and we see Hamas attack. Okay, that's happening today. That's not unusual for Hamas to attack. Um, but then I want you to see, I put it in here just because I don't have time frame on this one, the Magog Invasion. What's the next big prophetic event that will happen in the biblical timeline? It's this Magog invention, uh, invasion of Ezekiel 38, 39. Uh, we don't know how long it'll last. We don't know when it will start. We don't know if the current Hamas attacks will ignite something that will bring that about or if the Magog invasion is 50 years from today, okay? I, I think you always have to be careful when someone wants to give you an exact date and time of the Lord's return or a prophetic event. All we can do is say, this is what's in Scripture. What will follow the Magog invasion, in my, my estimation, is the rapture of the church. And that happens in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 18. We've talked about that. That will then give way to uh, the great tribulation, to the re re revelation of the Antichrist. If you missed my message a couple of weeks ago, I gave a revelation of who the Antichrist would be. Uh, it's really an interesting kind of a thought. Uh, halfway through the tribulation, it begins something called the great tribulation, and that's where the mark of the beast is, uh, is issued uh, we go to the end there, the Battle of Armageddon, Revelation 16, and then finally the second coming 
of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. So sometimes it helps if you can kind of get a picture, kind of get a perspective on where things go. And if you take all the charts that we've given you uh, since we began this study and kind of put them together, you can get a pretty good timeline, a pretty good idea of the things that are happening here. Now, what's really interesting as we begin to study this is that it says that every wall will fall down in Jerusalem during this battle. The most famous wall in Jerusalem today is the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall. We know that that Temple Mount currently has an Islamic mosque on the top of it. We know that Revelation says there's gonna be a rebuilt temple on that mount somehow. The problem is the Muslims control the mount with a mosque. And what do you do? Well, the Bible says it's so cataclysmic is this attack that happens and this intervention of God in Ezekiel that every wall in Jerusalem falls down. That means that it's gonna fall, it's gonna slide down into the Jezreel Valley, the mosque is gonna follow with it, and remember, four-fifths of the army that are coming against Israel are mostly, mostly Muslim. I believe this is how the Antichrist is gonna sign a peace agreement with, with Israel and say, let's rebuild the temple on the mount, and that begins the sacrificial system that we read about in the book of Revelation, uh, in Daniel, in Jeremiah, and so forth. So I think there's, there's a way all these things kind of happen if you kind of look ahead and say, let's take a look at it. But let me talk about a demonstration of God's power, and this is what I always love. I love to, you know, the scriptures like this are not given to frighten us. They're given to encourage us because God says, I'm gonna tell you what the future's about, but I'm always going to cover you in my power. You know, if you haven't read Romans 8 recently, read it. What shall separate you from the love of God? Things present? No. Things to come? No. Angels, principalities, and powers? No. Nothing shall ever be able to separate you from the love of God. His protection over you is solid. Now let's look and see what happens here in Psalm chapter 121 and verse 4. I love this. He who keeps Israel shall neither slumber or sleep. What's that a reminder of? Regardless of what you're seeing in Israel, God is not unaware. God is not sleeping. God is not taking his hand off of anything. He's working everything out to the divine purpose of his people, the Jews. Now, let's just kind of, let's just kind of sidestep and go into you personally. The same thing's true of you. As a child of the living God, a son and daughter of the king, he never takes his hand off of you. His watch care over you is constant. Now, sometimes the setbacks in your life are because you've refused his guidance, his wisdom, or his hand in your life. But remember, God's not punishing you. God is correcting you to bring you back into understanding of walking with him. You say, well, I feel guilty. Well, guilt doesn't come from God either. Guilt comes from your spouse, your neighbor, your Christian brother. It does not come from God. God brings conviction that, that brings about a transformation into righteousness. That's a different guilt you can't get out of. You know what you do with guilt? I call it the gift that keeps on giving, right? If I feel guilty, then I've got to somehow create a scenario where you feel guilty too. That way we're all feeling guilty together, all feeling bad. Yeah, well, I, you did that. Well, I know, but what about you? You know what you did? 
Have we ever done that? Got a one-up the guilt moment in our life. So God doesn't slumber or sleep. Let me take you to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. We got a lot of scriptures today. Um, the word of God is so powerful that when, it, you know, the great thing about the word of God, you can just read it and everybody gets blessed. Even when you don't know half of what's going on. I don't know what he's talking about, but it sounds good. God says, I have chosen Jerusalem. Do you realize there's only one city on planet Earth that God calls his city? It's Jerusalem. Think about that. Only one city on planet Earth, God says, is my city. There's only one people, God says, are my people. There's only one nation, God says, is my nation. Do you see how that Abrahamic covenant ties into this? He said, I have chosen that my name might be there for now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever. Do you realize the most hotly contended piece of real estate on planet Earth is not in Orange County? It's not. You see the prices go up, let me tell you something. Jerusalem is the most hotly contended piece of real estate on planet Earth. The Christians want it, the Muslims want it, the Jews want it. Everybody wants it, the Palestinians, everybody wants it. And if you've been there, it's, it's a desert oasis. You look at it and you go, why does everybody want this? It is because there is a spiritual power, vortex, and presence of God there that is undeniable. Undeniable. Why do you think the new Jerusalem is coming down of heaven? Read the Revelation. The new Jerusalem is gonna come down from heaven to earth. Why is God consumed with Jerusalem? Because he says, it's my city that my name might be there. My eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen, I will put my name there forever. God says, Jehovah God, my name, my presence, my power is there forever. Let's go back to Ezekiel 38, 18. Try to get more of the story. It will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. You know, God gets upset about a few things. For my jealousy and the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake. Here it is. In the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, the beasts of the, of the field, and all the creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. You know what God loves? It lo God loves it when, when he gets our attention. Does he have your attention today? Are you, are you listening to what God is saying in your heart of hearts, in the word of God? He said, I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord. Every man's sword will be against his brother. You know how God defeats the army that comes up against Israel? He creates so much confusion in the ranks that they begin to take each other out. I read a study on the Russian army, and one of the problems with the Russian army is that they have so many uh, different dialects that operate within the army that in a crisis, they don't fall back into their second or third language, Russian, but they begin to, to be confused and they can't understand the words of the Russian because they're still trying to hear it in another language. And you see how this stuff works out. God says, Every man's sword against his brother, and I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. This will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of the nations. That's what God wants. He wants to be known 
And then I like the last part of this verse. Look what it says. Then they will know that I am God. Then they will know I am the Lord. You know what? God brings every one of us to a place of saying, do you know that I'm God? That's not an intellectual. That's not an emotional. That is something that actually is transformational. If I know God then he changes the way I look at life. He changes the way I live my life. He changes my perspective on everything if I say I know God. If I say I know God, I don't have to decide whether I'm gonna follow him. I don't have to decide if I'm gonna read the Bible. I don't have to decide if church is important. I've already made that decision. When I, when I submitted myself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I said, you're God and I'm not. What do you want me to do, God? That's what a Christian is. If you, if you got somehow in the church any other way and thought, well, you know, it's just like I get to go to heaven, then you only got part of the story. The real story is when Jesus bids a man to come, he calls him, bids him to pick up his cross and die. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said that in Germany after he was taken and arrested by the Nazis and finally died in a concentration camp as a Protestant preacher. When Jesus bids a man to come, he bids him to take up his cross and die. That is the cost of discipleship. See, Jesus never made it easy. You know, we've, we've taken on this, this perspective in America that let's get an easy Christianity and try to get a big crowd. But what for what purpose? 5,000 people came to feed at Jesus' feet and hear his teaching. When they, when they were filled up, they all left and Jesus looked at Peter and said, where have they all gone? They've all left, Lord. He said, how about you, Peter? Now he's down, he's gone from 5,012 to 12. How about you, Peter? He never said, let's go get him. How about you, Peter? He said, where shall we go? Where shall we go? You are the Lord. You have the words of life. And he said this, flesh and blood has not revealed that unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. You see, Christianity is a revelatory religion. I get a revelation from God who Jesus is, and I say, I'm going to follow, amen? So here, let me sum it up this way. God is jealous for his people. And that jealousy is a good jealous, amen? God says, I want you, to, I, I love you as my people. Jews and Gentiles, part of the kingdom, I love you as my people, I'm jealous for you. I get jealous when you go after other gods. I get jealous when you walk away from me. God is jealous for his city, Jerusalem. He's jealous for his city, Jerusalem, but most of all, he's jealous for his glory. God said in Isaiah, he said, my glory do I not share with another, nor my praise to any graven image. God's not gonna share his glory with you or me. Never about you or me, about him, amen? And somehow, this is the, this is the amazing thing. When I make it about him, I feel better about me. When I make it about me, I feel worse about me. Right? It's not a self-centered life, it's a Christ-centered life. Have you followed Jesus? Are you committed to him? Are you walking the ways of the Lord? If not, make a decision today, I'm gonna do that. That's what I'm going to do. I want you to stand with me now and I wanna just give you an invitation. If you're not sure of your salvation, I wanna give you an invitation to come to faith in Christ. If you are sure, I'm gonna give you an invitation to walk with him, amen? Just to be faithful to him. So let's just bow our heads, and if you're not, you're not sure about your eternal destiny, pray a prayer like this one. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that I am a sinner. 
I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, that you were buried in the tomb according to the scriptures, that on the third day you rose from the dead to give me life. You promised that if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in my heart that you have raised him from the dead, I will be saved. By faith, I believe that, I confess that, save me, Lord Jesus. If that was your prayer, just tell him thank you in your own words. Just say thank you, God, for saving my soul. Was that your prayer? The Bible says if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If that was your confession, you said I've done that, would you just slip your hand up right now and say I just wanna confess, Father, amen, God bless you, God bless you. Amen, all of this room, God bless you, thank you. Now if you're a Christian, you say, you know what, today was a turning point for me. I wanna be more committed to Christ. I wanna be more steadfast in my faith. Don't fall back into guilt of what you didn't do yesterday. Just say today is a new day. And I'm gonna march forward in the power of Almighty God. I'm gonna be a warrior in these last days for the kingdom of God, amen? Amen. If you, if you say, that's what I want to be, just raise your hand up. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being warriors for the kingdom of God. Amen and amen.